Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The season of Advent that we find ourselves in right now is, is the first season of the church year in the Christian church. And so we, we could have said a week ago, Happy New Year. It may not feel like it. That's not the way our, our annual calendar goes. We start in January. But the church calendar starts with Advent. And it's a four-week season leading up to Christmas that really is a, a season, as Pastor Borman mentioned at the beginning of our service, it's a season of anticipation. It's a season of waiting. And it's during these weeks that we concentrate on the promises that God gave to his Old Testament people, promises like the one we heard read from the prophet Isaiah, promises that those people clung to as they waited through millennia and centuries for God to send into the world the Savior who would deliver them and rescue them from their sin and its consequences. I think it's easier perhaps for us to put ourselves into the mindset of those Old Testament people in the weeks leading up to Christmas because we're waiting too. We're waiting for our celebration of the fulfillment of that promise they were waiting on to be kept. We're waiting for Christmas when we celebrate God sending that Savior into the world. But at the same time as we look backwards, we look into the past to the Old Testament people and their waiting, we also recognize during Advent that we are still waiting. Because when we look at the story of this Savior who came at Christmas, what we see is that he came and then he went back to the Father. But before he did that, he made yet another promise. He promised us that he is going to come again. And so here we are today, waiting. Waiting for our Savior Jesus to return. What should that waiting look like? How are we to, to go about this period of waiting that we find ourselves in? We find some direction to that end in the words that we'll focus on this morning some concluding words from St. Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We read from Romans chapter 15. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. 
as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of our God. What should our waiting look like? First and foremost, if you look back on your sermon insert, you have the text printed out for you. If you look back to that first verse, verse 4, Paul is reminding us that while we wait, the Lord has given us a tool to help us in our waiting. He refers to it as everything that has been written. In other words, the Holy Scriptures. God has given us the Scriptures while we are waiting, and he's given them to us because, as you've probably come to learn, life in this world is not always that easy. This is a hard place to live. And because it is a hard place to live, God has given us his word for a dual purpose. First, so that we might have the strength that we need to endure. And then second, so that we might be provided with encouragement. I want you to think about those two words because we see them twice here in this lesson, endurance and encouragement. I think it's healthy for us to note that God tells us he's going to give us his word so that we can endure difficulties. There are a lot of other verbs that he could have used. He could have said avoid difficulties. He could have said overcome difficulties but he chose endure, specifically. And the picture of endurance is a little different from those other words. The picture of endurance is that the difficulty is still there. But one who endures, one who endures, bears up underneath the difficulty that is with them, and God gives us his word so that we might do that. But also to provide us with encouragement. When we look at our life in this world and we recognize that this world is so often a hard place to live, we need courage to go out and face it each day. And in his word, God provides us with the courage, with the bravery to meet the trials and the troubles each day may have to bring so that we can walk out in the morning with a smile on our face, with joy in our hearts, knowing that Christ our Savior is with us. And so with that strength to endure and with the encouragement God provides, now we might have hope. And hope, Pastor Borman again alluded as we began, hope is something that kind of has more than one meaning today. 
There's, there's the wishy-washy hope that he talked about, and then there's the sure hope that we have in God's word. And I don't actually think it's two entirely different kinds of hope. I think it just depends on what it is your hope is anchored in. When we talk about hope, we're talking about an optimism that we have. It's an optimism that we have that's based on something. So a young child might say, I hope that we are going to have a snow day later on this week. They're optimistic. It's wintertime. It is a possibility. But what is that hope based on? It's based on the weather. And the weather is something that is uncertain. The weather is something that is unpredictable. And so while they hope there will be a snow day, they, they can never be too sure. An older man might hope that this is the last time he ever has to visit the hospital. He's optimistic. He could be better. His health could maintain. But as he's grown older, he's come to learn that his body is more and more uncertain. And his health is not always secure. And so he has a hope. He has a hope that he might not come back, but what is that hope based on? It's based on his health. And health is so very often fleeting. Friends, our God is not fickle like the weather. The promises that our God makes in his word are not fleeting and passing like our health. And so when we have a hope that has as its anchor the Lord our God or the promises that he gives us in his word, then that is a hope based not on uncertainty. It's a hope that is based on truth and in fact. And because of that, it is a hope that we can be sure of. So what is the hope that God gives us in his word? As we look to the future, to what lies ahead for us, we have a sure and a certain hope that has as its basis that which God tells us in his scriptures is already true for us. That our sins have been washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ so that we are saved from the consequence of our sins that we have been reconciled to God and that because we are accepted by Jesus, we will be taken with him to an everlasting inheritance. We will one day live under him in his perfect everlasting kingdom where we will be able to serve him in righteousness and innocence and blessedness for all eternity. This is our hope, and it is as sure and as certain as the news that Jesus Christ has risen from death and lives and rules eternally. It is a sure hope, because its anchor is not on something uncertain, but its anchor is in the promises of God's word. And what about our present life today? When we look at our life today, we have a sure and certain hope that our God is with us. We have a, a hope that 
our God is going to bring us guidance and peace, even when times get difficult. We have the hope that he will strengthen us so that we can bear up underneath difficulties and the hope that he will fill us with courage to go out and meet every day. We have all of that hope because of the promises that our God has given to us in his word. So this is the hope of Christmas. This is the hope of our Christian faith, that God loves you, that he sent his son into this world to redeem you from your sins, and that he is holding for you a place in his everlasting kingdom. It's my hope. It's your hope. Who else is that hope for? Let's break the fourth wall, and I'll allow you to answer. Who is this hope for? Don't be shy. You know the answer. It's for everyone. Can we, do, can we do a show of hands, maybe? Raise your hand if you believe that the hope that God sent Jesus into this world to bring is a hope that belongs to everyone. Awesome. A lot of hands. That's great to see. This is what we can say, and I think we have it on the screen. I may have missed the first one. While we wait, it's God's will that we have hope. Our next fill-in, I think we could say, is this, that the hope of Christ is a common hope designed to unite us within the church and with our fellow man. We know that that's true. You confessed it just now with your hands that you know and believe that that's true, but here's a follow-up question for you, and this one's maybe a little more difficult. Raise your hand if you believe that your attitude and your behavior always reflects that unity and always demonstrates to the people around you that that hope is meant for them as well. There's the rub, right? We went from all of our hands up in the air to none of our hands up in the air. If this is something you struggle with, and it seems like all of us here do, know that you're not that much different from the Christians in the church in Rome to whom Paul was writing this letter. Because they didn't always demonstrate their belief in that truth either. You see, we have something that's a part of our sinful human condition that's called prejudice. And we heard about it a little bit in our lesson from Isaiah. We saw the opposite of it as God is speaking of our Savior Jesus who would come. This is what he says about Jesus. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. He won't. But we often do. We see someone, and before we've even met them, we have a judgment about them in our mind, and often that judgment, even though we wouldn't say it out loud, is, nope, not them. The hope is not for them. Or at least it won't be coming to them from me. We judge people based on their appearance, based on what we've heard about them. 
And because of that judgment, we fail to share the hope that we've been given. In the Roman congregation, the major division was the division between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, between those who could trace their lineage back to Abraham and those who couldn't. And there were those among the Jewish believers who believed that the hope God sent into this world was for them alone and not for any of the other nations. And so Paul writes to them, and he gives them example after example after example that we have in the second half of our text of these prophecies and these passages from the Old Testament that make it abundantly clear that since the very beginning through Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah, God's plan has been that that hope would be not just for the Jews but also for the Gentiles that they too would praise the Lord. (coughs) Pardon me. That they too would rejoice in his name. That they too would be able to find hope in Jesus. And so Paul's prayer for the Christians in Rome is this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In that prayer, we see laid out for us the purpose of God's church, that God in this world gathers together men and women, boys and girls around his word for this purpose, to bring glory to God. The purpose of the church, our next fill in there, is to bring glory to God. But that prayer from Paul also reveals to us how it is that that purpose is accomplished. God's name is glorified among us when we share the attitude of Jesus toward our fellow human beings. That's the next one. Which fellow human beings? Actually asking, again. All of them, right? I think of the man who came to Jesus and asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, love God, love your neighbor. And he asked him then, but Lord, who is my neighbor? Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, To drive home the point, everyone is your neighbor. The purpose of the church is to glorify God, and his name is glorified among us when we share the same attitude that Jesus has for the people around us with them. So in the Roman church, that meant that the Jews, as they looked at the Gentiles, should have for them the same love and compassion in their hearts that Jesus would have had for them. And as the Gentiles met the Jewish Christians, they should have for them the same warmth and love that Jesus did. But we don't have here in Mount Lebanon this division between Jews and Gentiles. There may be a few of you here 
who have some ancestry that traces back to the Jewish people. But I think for the most part, those of us gathered here are among those who would be counted as Gentiles. Which means that if you trace your ancestry back to the time of Jesus, where were your people? They were in a tribe somewhere in Europe or in Africa. And who were they worshiping? Idols made of stones or wood, the stars in the sky, unholy spirits. They were a people walking in darkness. But by God's grace, prophesied through Moses, through Abraham, through David, and Isaiah, the light of Christmas shone to your ancestors as well. Through the message that's preached to us in God's word here today, they were welcomed and accepted into God's church. But when as God's grace was carried out through the mission of the church, they too learned about Jesus and came to know him as their savior so that now here you are able to be gathered together worshiping him, praising his name with the hope that trusts in Jesus your savior. The mission of the church we can distinguish from its purpose. The purpose is to glorify God. The mission of the church is what Jesus gave to his disciples before he returned to heaven. To go and to make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and by teaching them to obey everything that he had commanded them. Let's click forward to the next slide, gentlemen. The mission of the church is to go and make disciples of who? Who is my neighbor? Everyone. Accept one another then. Just as Jesus Christ accepted you in order to bring praise and glory to God. What a beautiful thing that we have been accepted by Christ. And notice the order God's word puts that in, that he accepted you not the other way around. Christ accepted us, and now he calls on us to accept one another, to reach out and to share the hope that he has given us with all people, with everyone, to be united in mind and in spirit, to be united in speech and in praise with each other. That doesn't mean that there won't be differences among us. There were still differences between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. But the heart of God's word to us here today is that for the hope that our God has given us to flourish and to be at its fullest, we cannot allow our focus to be on the things that make us different. And there are a lot of things that do make us different. 
challenge yourself to think of some of the things that maybe prejudice you against other people. Is it the way that they present themselves? The cleanliness or the professionalism of their clothing? The way that they choose to style their hair? Is it simply who they are, the color of their skin, or the way they sound when they talk? Is it how they act and behave? Is it the way that they manage their children? Is it, is it what they think they ought to do when they come into God's house of worship? Is it the songs they like to sing? There are going to be things that make us different. But the purpose of the church is to glorify God, and we do that the best as we look at each and every person around us with the same attitude in mind that Christ Jesus has for them. That they are his dearly loved children, worth him suffering and dying on the cross for, to bring them to everlasting salvation. The mission of the church is to make disciples of all people in this world. And if we're going to accomplish that mission, we cannot be focused on the things that make us different. We have to allow our focus instead to be on the things that unite us and the things that make us the same, on that which we have in common. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came into this world to redeem sinners. The hope that he has given us that because our sins are washed away, we have an everlasting inheritance in heaven. The purpose that he has blessed us with to glorify his Father in heaven and the mission that he invites us to participate in with him to make more disciples for his name. When our focus is on those things which we have in common, then we will be well prepared to wait. To wait for our Savior's second coming. And while we wait, to work that purpose and that mission. Friends, as we do that, you will have what Paul prays for in the final verse of our text. The God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. To God be the glory. Amen.